A delegation of 50 trade union officials and rank-and-file union members visited Coonabarabran and the Pilliga Forest in New South Wales on the 6th of November, and they were there to hear firsthand from leaders of the Gomorrah traditional owners about their struggle against the Santos Pilliga Narrabri gas project. The delegation included nurses from Sydney and Coonabarabran, teachers' union representatives from across New South Wales, manufacturing and maintenance workers, maritime workers from Newcastle and Sydney and university staff. And importantly, blue-collar unions with members working in the gas industry got behind the delegation, with representatives attending from the Manufacturing Workers' Union, the AMWU, an active support from the Electricians' Union, the ETU, and the Construction Division of the CFMEU. To tell us about the delegation and its significance, I'm joined by Penny McCall-Howard. Penny is the National Research Officer with the Maritime Union of Australia and a member of Solidarity. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Narm or Melbourne. So welcome, Penny. Thank you, David. Okay, well, perhaps first up, let's start with what is Santos, which is a fossil fuel energy corporation, actually trying to do in the Pilliga? Well, they want to drill 850 coal seam gas wells uh, in sites right throughout the forest. And part of the significance of that is that this is, I think, the largest area of forest uh, remaining in in New South Wales. It covers a vast area of land. And it's quite obvious, you know, as you're you're traveling up there, you travel through farmlands, endless farmlands, until you do get to this very large and significant forested area. And the reason they're talking about drilling there is because there is gas under that farmland, but the farmers are more politically powerful. They push back against gas drilling on their land, and the forest, a big chunk of it, is state forest. And the people who've got those connections um, are the Gomoroi traditional owners, and they don't have that same level of political power and influence. So that's part of what Santos are seeking to exploit here. There would clearly be appalling consequences from that many wells for the Gomoroi, for the Pilliga forest itself, and then more broadly for climate change. Can you take us through the consequences for each one of those? Sure. Um, So constructing gas wells in a forest, you've got to build roads, you've got to cut down trees, you've got to do the drilling. The whole area is quite extraordinary in terms of how sandy it is. Driving along the roads in the forest, it's it's like you're on a beach. It's extremely porous land, and uh, it absorbs water, and all that water goes down into a huge underwater aquifer known as the Great Artesian Basin. So it plays a whole role in the in the water supply over an enormous area uh, of Australia as well. And what's being proposed is that these gas wells would actually go down through that aquifer and the gas would be removed from underneath the aquifer as well. So you've got the potential, particularly when you talk about not just the immediate extraction, but over the very long period of time, the infinite period of time, that these wells will actually 
remain as holes pierced, you know, through the Earth's crust, through that aquifer, for these so-called, you know, impenetrable linings to to break down. And there's a lot of toxic materials that are involved in this extraction. Salts um, is how they're kind of benignly described, but this involves actually huge vats of very toxic materials, some of which are already there because Santos has been doing test wells. So there's these, we weren't actually able to to go and see one because we had to cross a river that was actually in flood because it's been raining so much there. But there are these big pits that Santos has often just left um, covered with black plastic and filled with this incredibly toxic material, often not properly fenced off, but that is really, you know, basically lethal for animals, birds, when they when they come in contact with as well. So all of that is generated on a large scale, even for the few kind of test wells that they've done now and needs to get collected and disposed of, except it's not disposed of, it just sits there. And you can imagine then the impact with the kind of rains that we've been having recently. These over open pits collect rain and then they overflow. And all of that has an enormous impact on the forest. Of course, um, we're talking about extracting methane. Methane is a very potent greenhouse gas. Um, Methane is often released in the process of mining. Then there's the process of actually the burning of the methane, which um, releases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And so all of those are emissions that we simply cannot afford. And Sue Ellen Tai, who was our host on, um, on Gomorrah land, spoke quite powerfully about this and the responsibility that Gomorrah people feel to um, all of their neighbors, their immediate neighbors, but also their neighbors in a, in a broader sense to ensure that uh, they're not polluting any of the lands or waters around them. And the fact that the concept that um, gas emissions from their lands, from their forest, would actually contribute to, you know, islands being submerged under the under the South Pacific, or, you know, people losing their lives in extreme weathers and storms all around the world was really uh, very distressing for them. And so they're quite committed to doing everything they can, not only to stop the impact of this project on the Pilaga Forest, but also to ensure that the rest of the world isn't impacted by the emissions and the, the consequences of those emissions on climate change and everyone else. Now, you and I have talked about this, but it was quite some time ago, about the myths around gas and how it's posed by fossil fuel giants as being a bridge between coal and oil and renewables. In brief, can you puncture that myth one more time? Sure. Well, it's a fossil fuel alongside coal. So it has a very high global warming potential itself when it's released straight into the atmosphere, as often as often can happen through leaks in pipelines or wells or any of the other infrastructure along the way. When you burn it, it turns into carbon dioxide, just like just like coal does. So it is absolutely it absolutely has a negative impact on climate change. And the fact that I mean, it's it's quite a bold move by gas companies to be able to market themselves as this clean fuel. But it is simply that. It's simply a marketing exercise. It's kind of a last ditch, last gasp effort that they're making, which unfortunately has made some inroads in the in the public consciousness. But 
is just simply untrue. Now, you said you and all the delegation were hosted by the Gomeroy. How are they organising? What are, what are they doing? What are they arguing? What kind of actions are they taking in defence of country? Gomeroy lands cover a huge part of New South Wales, uh, right up to the Queensland border and into Queensland as well. So, of course, the dynamics in all of those different communities are are quite different. Uh, we were hosted by Sewell and Ty, who's a community leader in Coonabarabran. They're very well organized. They're very united. They're linked in with some of the, the smaller um, towns around them as well. There's also a structure that's created through the native title process called the Gomeroy Nation. And Gomeroy people have got the right to participate in that. And it was at a meeting of the Gomeroy Nation in, I think it was April of this year, where they all got together in Tamworth and there was a vote on the offers by Santos to this date. Did they want to accept that offer or did they want to decline that offer? And the vote was overwhelmingly to reject that offer and reject the efforts by Santos over, it had been quite a number of years by that point, six or eight years of attempts by Santos to seek consent, which were really not done in very good faith. They offered much better terms to the farmers who were around the area than they did to to Gomeroy people. And now what's happened is that they're taking, Santos has, has filed an action in the Native Title Tribunal to say, okay, we didn't get the consent of the Gomeroy Nation, but we want to proceed with this project anyway. So the Gomeroy Nation, through their legal representatives, are contesting that. There was a hearing in April, and we're now um, still waiting for the outcome of that hearing. Uh, that Gomeroy Nation group has elected a body of representatives. Um, they're called the Native Title Applicant, but it's a kind of group of 18 people. It's almost like a, a bargaining committee or something like that. And we're very lucky to be joined by Ian Brown, who's a member of that Native Title Applicant group on this trip. Uh, Raymond Weatherall, who was a member of the previous committee. He also played a big role in getting union support um, over the past year or so and talking to rallies, meetings, union leaders in, in Sydney about the importance of the struggle. Now, the union contingent sounded amazing. Who organised it and why? Earlier this year, there was an initiative to have a, a petition and a statement to oppose the project. And we had a whole number of unions endorse that. And that can be accessed on the uh, Gomoroingar website. You can read that there. You can see the unions that have signed on and the other environmental groups. And it's a petition that individuals can sign on to as well. So that was one of the, the first tools that we used. And we used that alongside. We had a couple rallies at the federal court in Sydney. We had a number of meetings. We had... Uh, like public meetings, we organized meetings with Gomorrah activists in Sydney, with union leaders who were interested in, in what was going on as well. And there had been discussion about having a delegation for quite a period of time, and that was being spearheaded by the Sydney branch of the Maritime Union of Australia, and in particular the branch secretary, Paul Keating, was doggedly working away in the union movement and boldly took the question to Unions New South Wales, which is historically dominated by 
the kind of New South Wales Labour right-wing unions who are not keen to take up these issues. Of course, the Mining and Energy Union, the Australian Workers Union have got quite large memberships in New South Wales and Unions New South Wales has been really reluctant to take on any kind of organising around climate change up until this point. But uh, Paul Keating doggedly, doggedly uh, raised the issue and the union executive, the New South Wales, sorry, Unions New South Wales executive ended up passing a motion supporting the, the Gomorrah struggle in March. So that ended up raising a lot of people's awareness about the issue. And then we finally managed to settle a date that worked for the Gomorrah, that worked for some of those key people. Another person that really took this up was Vanessa Seagrove, who's the Assistant Secretary of Unions New South Wales. She also really um, put in a lot of quite dogged effort um, support for the issue as well. So once we got that date, we really relied actually a lot on people's own organization. We said, get to Kunibarabran for the morning of Saturday, the 5th of November. Here's some suggestions about how to get there, organize your own vehicles, organize your own accommodation. And people put in a lot of effort to do that. So the organization of it was fairly decentralized, but we ended up having over 50 people there. And that's because all of those people really wanted to be there and put in a lot of effort to be there and understood the importance um, of being there as well, which was fantastic. I'd like to dwell on that a little bit, but before I do, just on the question of the debate in the union movement, because I understand the Conservative unions uh, launched something of a counter-attack and tried to overturn the the policy in support of the Gomorrah. How was that debate had out? Uh, because I understand the good guys won, we won. How did we win? What were the arguments? Yeah, so there was the motion of support that was passed in, um, in, it was initially debated in March 2022, and then it was passed in April. But during that pandemic period, Unions New South Wales only had meetings of the union's executive. And there's a broader meeting of the Unions New South Wales Council, which is a higher decision-making body. So the Unions New South Wales Council was tasked with reaffirming the motions that had been passed by the executive, which was considered to be basically a routine uh, process, except for this one particular motion, which the Australian Workers Union moved that it be pulled and that it basically be overturned and and not affirmed. So there was a meeting and by just by coincidence, it ended up being the day before we were leaving to go up to the Pilliga in the evening. And so I had quite a, I wasn't actually able to attend this meeting myself because I had a few other logistical issues I was, I was trying to tidy up, but there was a significant mobilization from the Australian Workers Union and also from the, um, what's now called the Mining and Energy Union. There were arguments put around the fact that there's a gas crisis that prices are high, that more supply is needed, that industries will shut down, that of course we want to support the Gomorrah people, but we need this project, um, and therefore uh, this motion should be overturned. And they were supported in those arguments by the by the SDA union as well. Counter arguments were put from a whole range of unions. The Australian Manufacturing Workers Union 
countered the gas arguments really well, just saying, well, we don't have a supply crisis. We export vast quantities of gas that could easily be in a practical, maybe not easy in terms of contracts between capitalists, but in a practical sense could be repurposed for domestic needs. There's a whole range of efficiency initiatives that could be undertaken if you needed to ensure supply for particular manufacturers. And kind of overarching all of that was the real serious need that Unina saw for supporting First Nations rights, for supporting First Nations struggle. There was, you know, debates put of, you know, of course we want to support the Gomeroy, but, and people said, no, actually there's been a vote. We need to respect the outcomes of that vote. And we need to actually ensure that Gomeroy voices are heard and respected in this debate as well. So that argument carried the day. It ended up being, there ended up being 150 people at this meeting. So there was quite a significant mobilization from a whole range of different unions. And I think the the motion to overturn was defeated by, I think it was 73 votes to 54, something like that. So it was a lot closer than I would have liked. There obviously is still a lot of sympathy there um, within some parts of the union movement for this concept that industrial development should override basically everything everything else, which which is unfortunate. So there's clearly still a lot of work to be done. Okay, back to the delegation. So 50-odd people made it to Coonabarabran, which is quite a distance from Sydney, probably even from Newcastle. They were obviously sympathetic. They wouldn't have been there otherwise. But what was the impact of actually walking in the Pilliga and talking directly to the Gomoroi on country? Did people come away feeling a bit different? Absolutely. And we did have on our delegation, it was it was a very wide range of people and a big chunk of us had never met each other before. So, for example, we had, you know, nurses from different branches in Sydney. We also had a carload of nurses from, from Coonabarabran. We had some AMWU organisers from Newcastle, but quite a few people also had family ties um, out to the Coonabarabran area and Central West New South Wales. The teachers had people there from Tamworth and Gilgandra and further west as well. So there was um, a fair number of people who were coming from other parts of, of regional New South Wales, which gave it a really good flavour. And they also tended to have the uh, four-wheel drive trucks that we really needed to <laughs> get around in the forest in the current flooded conditions. I guess it was a bit of a combination. I mean, we covered a lot of ground, so we did end up doing a fair bit of driving. But I think probably it was fantastic to see the forest itself and to understand, to get a sense of the scale of it and to to understand um, the impact. But I think probably the thing that made the biggest impact on people was the way in which Sue Ellen explained the Gomorrah relationships to the forest their history that's embodied uh, within that land, the landmarks of that of that land, the Warrumbungle Mountains that also have a lot of those, carry a lot of those stories as well, the relationship with the water and how the water flows through the land as well. And probably one of the most powerful things that happened was in the evening, Sue Ellen organized for elders and for community members to come and to come together at a um, 
at a local farm that's got a sort of barn and outdoor area and there was a fire going there were dancers from the community who were just obviously community members and kids and there was a series that there was an exchange between the elders there who welcomed us to their country but it was you know a very kind of real welcome to to country who invited us to participate in uh some of the the dancing and the smoking uh, that took place there and then also the union leaders who introduced themselves but then also each union kind of selected someone from their delegation to say something as well and those people each kind of made a pledge back to those Gomorrah elders and community members about their support and um, how they would be able to support that struggle into the future and take that struggle back to their own workplaces and unions as well. So that was quite quite, uh, quite a few the sort of spine tingling moments when you think, okay, something something's really happening here. And I certainly got quite a few messages from people the next day on their way home saying um, what a um, significant event it was for them personally, but also politically. And I ended up riding with Thomas Mayer, who's the Maritime Union's National Indigenous Officer, and we were trying to think of any other kind of similar union delegation that had taken place recently, where unionists had gone in a pretty large group to Aboriginal country to learn, to listen, and to be engaged in a struggle there. And there aren't really other examples we could think of, certainly not at that scale, and certainly not within the past few decades as well. So it was really a great a great opportunity and people came back really wanting to work out what to do next you know writing motions for their own workplaces for their own unions thinking about you know who else needs to come and visit who do we need to invite to our next meeting and what they could do within their own capacity of course there was a strong statement that was put out um, that statement's available on the on the MUA website as well and people wanted to participate in in that and make sure that that was recorded for posterity as well. So, and there's already been a follow-up meeting of those different unions as well. And hopefully there'll be a kind of campaign group set up through unions in South Wales too. Sounds really impressive. For the record, about 30 years ago, I was involved in a group in Melbourne called Unionists for WIC. And we did organise a unionists contingent up to Yorta Yorta country on the Murray River. But I have to say it was nowhere on the scale and nowhere on the same um, impact as what you've organised. So there is a little precedent, but you guys are definitely out there leading, leading the way by a country mile. Now, perhaps we can step away from the immediate to look a little bit more broadly at the question of why is it important to mobilise support among union members in particular? Because obviously... Everybody should get behind the Gomroy campaign. That could be environmentalists, it could be faith leaders, all sorts of people. So why is it so important to have union members there? There's two really important reasons. One reason was one that I hadn't actually had that much of a chance to think about until we were up there. And that was the question of class, because the environmental movement largely through organizations like Lock the Gate and other organizations have been campaigning against this project for a long time. But 
there's been a real difficulty in the relationship between them and First Nations people because they had largely developed their relationships with the farmers and with the landowners who are in those small towns, basically the ruling class who look down on Aboriginal people who don't see them as having any power or influence. Sue Ellen described to us many examples of um, challenges and issues that she'd had with those landowners, but also by extension with some of the environmental groups that they were associated with. So I think there was a real affinity there because there was that sense of class solidarity that they kind of knew and sympathized and understood our politics and unionists were you know kind of took the opposite view of the of the local landowners in terms of really wanting to to listen and to hear from and kind of instinctively understood some of the challenges and and struggles that marginalized people might face so that was one really important link and i think that's one we did have a couple people from environmental organizations who came along as well people who have been working with the union movement and providing some of those links so I think hopefully that creating that kind of relationship is something that we can broaden to help hopefully bring everyone back in and back on the back on the same page again and become a more powerful movement. The second reason why it's important is the question of who is going to build this infrastructure. As I mentioned, uh, building this infrastructure in the forest is going to involve probably imports of pipeline and equipment, it's going to involve building roads, it's going to involve drilling holes, uh, it'll certainly involve the construction of some large pipelines, and all of that will have to be done by workers. So if we do get to the point where uh, the next stage is that the, the Native Title Tribunal will rule about whether Santos is allowed to proceed with the project, there apparently there's only three examples in the past 30 years where they have ruled against the resource company so it's very likely they'll rule in, in in favor of santos and at that point santos will well there could be legal appeals out of that but um that will more or less clear the way for santos to begin construction um and it's really at that point that unionists will have the opportunity to step up there's already been the electrical trades union has already talked about banning work on that entire project and i think they've already banned put a ban on some of the preliminary work around that as well. And so it's a great example of the power of workers to be able to actually, hopefully in a real sense, think about how the work that we do and how we want to use our labor and how we should use our labor and um, exercise some of that, some of that power. And in the meantime, we're going to need the, um, the kind of political mobilization that workers can have in the big cities to raise the profile of the struggle, um, to go to the rallies, to put pressure on labor, to labor at a, labor's presently in support of the project. They try not to mention <laughs> this um, very inconvenient native title dispute that's happening at the same time as they you know, want to bring in an Aboriginal voice to parliament. So clearly there's quite a, quite a conflict there and um, unions will be doing what they can and it's part of that resolution that unions new south wales we actually use our influence um, in the labor party as well to elevate those gomeroy voices and make sure that their voices um, are heard 
the current Commonwealth government and the, the New South Wales Labour Party and, and government as well. Yeah, it's shameful the way that Labour is pushing forward or allowing fossil fuel companies to push forward with so many gas projects in particular and, and coal, as, coal as well, while talking out of one side of their mouth about uh, the necessity of net zero emissions and, and so on and so forth. And as you say, to talk about a voice to Parliament, but then not listen to the voice of the Gomorrah people, it really indicates that there's a, a real hypocrisy there and something where unions can play such a critical role. So really we're talking about, hopefully, best case scenario, reviving the tradition of the green bands, where unions actually refuse to participate in environmental destruction. Is that, I mean, I know none of these things are ever a given. There's all sorts of possible outcomes, but in people's mind, is that hopefully where we'll land? Uh, quite possibly. I mean, certainly what was what was openly discussed during the weekend was unionists participating in blockades. So that's something that's very much been been discussed. But yes, I mean, the very logical extension of that would be green bans as well. And as I said, that's already that's already been discussed. I do hope we can stop the project before we get to that point. But hopefully, the more unions are involved and the more of those kinds of bans are declared, the more that that can help also pile on the pressure to ensure that we can get the decision that we need out of the Native Title Tribunal, that we can get the support of the Commonwealth government pulled and any other, you know, political, all the other political decisions uh, that we need as well. So how can people get involved, either locally in person or across the country in spirit? I would invite um, everyone to go have a look at the Gomoroingar website, and I'll have to um, we'll have to spell we'll have to spell that out. It means Gomoroy strong, but the spelling is not completely intuitive. And if you're um, an English language speaker, so have a look at that website. We really need more signatures there. Uh, we need more endorsements from unions and any other organization who want to get involved with supporting that campaign. I'll put a link and in the description, by, by the way, so pe people don't have to guess. Okay, fantastic. It's probably better than spelling it over the uh, spelling it over the air. So yeah, the more endorsements and support we can get for that, the better. In Sydney, Workers for Climate Action has played a big role in pulling together that support and joining together, doing the work to link Gomorrah activists with union members. Um, so we'll continue to do that in Sydney. I suspect um, Workers for Climate Action in Melbourne might be, you know, playing a similar a similar role as well. But uh, yes, by all means, please raise the issue in any venue. Uh, that you can and that um, petition on the website can be a good basis for a union motion all right thanks very much for your time today penny okay thanks very much david